Hi, this is Brian Sears, government reporter for The Daily Record. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties and policy-obsessed reporters who are on late-night baby duty. Is it wrong I make the boys listen? Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, it is January 10th. It's a Tuesday. Session begins January 11th. Tomorrow, a Wednesday. Here we are recording the podcast. We have some stuff to get into. The theme being new session, new faces, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of changes here in Annapolis. Michael, we just got back from the Winter Conference. I hope you're recovered. We'll get into that too, but how are things going for you today? <laughs> Do, doing fine. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of energy for our association and for our members. We do, we do a winter conference every year, usually in the month of December, but following, you know, the, the gubernatorial election, we have lots of new officials who are only getting sworn in in early to mid December. So we do the event in early January. That's kind of a strain on our, our staff and timing and all that sort of stuff, but it really does give us a ton of momentum rolling into the first session of each new term. So lots of new elected officials at the county level. We just had a really good event getting them all primed and ready for the things that they'll need to get their hands on quickly. Um, really good vibe at that event. I felt really good about it. A lot of good feedback and rolls right into a legislative session. So let's, you know, let's get in the saddle. Let's go. Yeah, great conference. I really enjoy the newly elected officials orientation. I think that's just great. The amount of information that we're able to provide, calling on some of former county elected officials and current administrators, all the people that make counties run to help be the voices to guide them there. I think it's great. And yeah, like you said, a lot of content. It definitely is a strain on the, on the staff, on all of us. But now, like you said, we have all of this momentum getting ready to head into session and Michael, the governor-elect Moore was at the conference. He spoke. Anything that you took from that? I mean, it was very you know, positive, in my opinion, high energy, and it sounded like a lot of collaboration, and that certainly seemed to be the theme. I, I think it was it was a really good note to start off with. He, he talked about succeeding together and, and wanting to get out to every jurisdiction and to be plugged in with local leaders and local communities. Um, I think, you know, p- part of that is – you read the room. It's a, it's a, you know, it's an event full of county officials. And so you talk about local government and that sort of stuff. But it, I think it's also just a practical reality that, you know, you, you need some buy-in for whatever your next steps might want to be, right? Whether that's, you know, passing legislation or, or, or setting new goals for what to accomplish within the state government. Um, buy-in at the local level is, is just to everybody's benefit. So I don't know. I think, I think the vibe there was really good. Um, having, uh, the incoming lieutenant governor, Aruna Miller, she spoke at one of the sessions at the conference and it was one of those deals where we were trying to be forgiving and saying, Hey, listen, if you would just want to talk for five or 10 minutes, everybody will be, be fine with that. And she just crushed it and, and talked for 20, 30 minutes and people are in sort of enwrapped attention with all the things she wanted to talk about. Uh, incoming comptroller Brooke Learman uh, came to the conference and wanted to a- address our folks. And she set a really similar tone about working together and, and that sort of stuff. I, just like that vibe was top to bottom, really helpful, I think. 
Yeah, I agree with you. It was certainly a great vibe. Good to have all of them in attendance as well. And Michael, you know, speaking of newly elected officials, and you mentioned Madam Comptroller-elect, you are chairing a local government subcommittee for the Comptroller's transition team. Any secrets that you can spill from that for our listeners? Anything that you've gained from that so far? <laughs> um, well, I, to, uh, I don't think I have any like tea to spill necessarily. It's, 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 it's what you would expect. It, it's a lot of, committed people who are trying to be helpful with the process. Um, so the comptroller elect is not new to Maryland politics. So she's generally familiar with the board of public works and with tax structures and with the budgeting process and, and those sorts of things. But I think it's a, it was a, it was a really good and appropriate gesture for her to make one of the committees of her transition team focused on engaging with local governments. Uh, we have a lot of folks in local government who we don't have necessarily a lot of sophisticated economic forecasting staff to gauge how things are going with the economy and what we should be expecting for revenues. So to the extent the state has that capacity for things like the income tax, most notably, but but for, for some of the things where the state and counties are similarly situated, her talking about having resources to help local governments know their local economy, make smarter forecasts and so forth. That's a, I mean, that's all to the good for those of us in local government. So, so I think, I think we'll have a lot of focus on, on making processes more transparent and inclusive, including for local officials. I think that's all to the good. So I'm encouraged by the process and, and flattered to, to have a leadership role there. Yeah, certainly good to hear that. And I know Mako supported a bill last year, a few sessions ago, dealing with the Bureau of Revenue Estimates and, and getting them some more funding to create a lot of the, the information that you talked about when it comes to local economies and forecasting. So that's all good stuff and really good to hear. I know that our budget and finance affiliate will be very happy to hear that. And Michael, before we get too far away from the conference too, I need to mention newly minted MAKO President Calvin Ball and the MAKO board were installed at the conference. He also gave a rousing speech. He had a video tribute with a lot of heavy hitters. And I think that went over really well. And I'm excited to work with MAKO President Ball during the upcoming session in the year ahead. I, I think you, you come away from that evening where we do the installation and you know, had a, a look forward from the incoming governor. We had you know, Lieutenant Governor Rutherford join us for the swearing in ceremony. And he said good things about the sort of collaboration we've had over over prior years. And, and County Executive Ball, I, I can't think of anybody in the county community more perfectly suited for this big year of transition. He's got so much experience on on our county council and in a number of leadership roles, you know, he's, he's been involved with education and involved with land use and, 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 you know, all sorts of, all sorts of different issues he's taken up as priorities over the time. Uh, he's, he's been involved as an electivist. I just, I'm really optimistic that he's, he's the right person for the job. And that, that was really palpable in the room. I thought so. So really good optimistic foot there, I think. Okay. Well, we, transition is the flavor right now. The new administration is coming in. Like we said, we heard from Governor-elect Moore at the conference. He met with our board. He spoke to the entire conference. He takes office on January 18th, Michael. And I am very optimistic. Uh, the new administration, as we said, is pledging to work hand in hand with counties to make sure that all boats rise. We like hearing that a lot. We're still waiting to see what the budget looks like, and we'll get into that in a second. But we do know, Michael, there's a lot of federal infrastructure money out there. Mako sent a letter to the governor-elect, and we're very optimistic that the administration is going to bring counties to the table and make sure 
that that invested that money is invested where it's needed most, right? And Michael, when it comes to the budget process, talk a little bit about that because the governor did the governor elect did mention that as well. And one thing that I know they're trying to make clear is that look, they have a lot of requests right now. They're inundated <laughs> with people, right? And that's 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 fair and that's that's probably par for the course. But a lot of this money, a lot of the surplus that people keep seeing, that's one time money. You can only spend it once, right? So talk a little bit about the budget process as you see it. You've been through a lot of these, especially with transitions and when the budget actually comes out. But I know there's also a lot of work going on behind the scenes right now as we speak. And there has been work going on uh, over the past months, if you will. Yeah. So I, I think that probably could be its own episode of the podcast. So so like we can distill it a little bit. We are we're sometimes a little wonky and a little in the weeds. I'll try and avoid getting too deep into it, but it is part of the weird timing of our transition to swear in a new governor in the middle of January. I mean, literally, I, I think the statutory deadlines are governor gets sworn in on January 18th and the budget proposal for the coming year is due to the general assembly on the 20th. So on paper, that that suggests that the new governor literally has two days to put together a, you know, a a multi-billion dollar fiscal plan. That's obviously not how it really happens. In practice, it's the outgoing fiscal team from the outgoing governor who builds up the sort of vanilla version of the coming year's budget I'm sure there's some unofficial collaboration with the incoming administration about specific priorities or questions about how to handle certain things and whatnot. I mean, that sort of stuff happens. But the the budget itself has basically been in the hands of the General Assembly staff. At the staff-to-staff level, you need time for analysts to start going through the proposed budget for their agencies in time for budget hearings that are going to start within two weeks. So... So this process is our the gears are already turning. I've told a number of audiences that what we'll see for this coming year will kind of be a Hogan budget with a little bit of more flavor, more with two O's, right? So so I, I think there's an opportunity for the incoming administration to add some things and sprinkle some some of their priorities on top, whether they're embedded in the original budget proposal or whether they show up as supplemental items or whatnot, you know, we we'll we'll see. But I think you, know, you mentioned the, the circumstance we're in that doesn't connect to this being a transition year. Just close out last fiscal year with a couple billion dollars in the sock of basically one-time money. No one's exactly sure the status of our current economy. Maybe our regular listeners are, are bored of hearing me say this, but I still feel like it's a massive unknown how much of the revenue that led to a temporary surplus, how much of that revenue is permanent and is just going to bake into future forecasts. Since you don't really know that, treating a lot of this money as one time means, okay, maybe you can go out and build a building with cash rather than float bonds. Or maybe you can do incentives for employees on a, you know, on a temporary basis that doesn't make a permanent commitment. But that's different from let's launch a new program or let's hire 600 new people to fill vacant positions or other things that have ongoing commitments of costs and so forth. So, you know, like like you said, there's one time money there. Uh, the number of mouths potentially to feed, uh, you know, the birds in the nest are are multitudinous. I'm, I'm trying to remember you mm-hmm. know, what we heard in and around the conference from the governor elect and from others. But 
I think there's already multiple billions of dollars in requests to the state government just from non-government actors, just from non nonprofits and social organizations and so forth. Not saying spend money on a state agency, but hey, we have a project here, we have a building, we could use some capital funds and so forth. You know, the state engages in that kind of stuff, but all that money's spoken for more than once over just by sort of third party actors before you even get into the needs of the state agencies and various things that are funded through formulas and whatnot. So it's, you know, that's a challenge for whomever was going to be governor following a surplus year, but with a new governor, maybe even more so. No doubt about it. And it's funny, you know, you talk about the third party actors and I'm used to seeing, Hey, if we could just get $5 million, that, that would be fantastic. We could do a lot of good things. Now it's like, well, we'll take a hundred million, right? Yeah, the, right the, sure. the tides have shifted and everybody sees that giant number, the surplus. And again, I think, uh, you know, you have to tamp down some expectations there, but certainly a lot of requests in the hopper and we'll have to see how all that shakes out. And Michael, of course, we have a new attorney general and comptroller. We've already mentioned Brooke Learman, Madam Comptroller. Also a new attorney general, Anthony Brown, former congressman, is taking the reins. Anything to brace there? Uh, any, anything to brace for there, Michael, in terms of what you're seeing so far? Again, you've been on the uh, comptroller's transition team, but how about the attorney general? What are we hearing on, on that end? I think it's it's possible you know, we're still in the rollout phase for police oversight changes. The big legislation in 2021, a lot of those pieces were just sort of being implemented this past year and the first reports coming due. So we'll probably see some attention on that front. And I think the incoming attorney general, actually, I guess now new attorney general um, who's who's already been sworn in, He'll, uh, he, he may have an opportunity to, to say we need to make some, you know, some, some tweaks and nips and tucks here and there, you know, maybe on some of these issues like, uh, you know, independent investigation and prosecution when there are, you know, you know, injuries or, or, or deaths involving, uh, police officers, you know, that, yeah, you know, that sort of, you know, euphemistic category of circumstances is one of the things the General Assembly tried to change the laws for. I think maybe that'll be up for some refinement this year. Uh, we'll see what else happens on that front, but uh, I, I would expect, you know, the, the, the attorney general as a former legislator himself, a former lieutenant governor, and having been in the congressional legislative process is familiar with all these processes. And none of these ideas are going to be brand new to him. He's needed, you know, just, uh, just arrived in Maryland last week. He's, he's, he's been around the track a number of times. So he can hit the ground running and, and maybe have some ideas either for the legislature or for just procedures within his office and how to go about prosecutions and consumer protection, all the things that the AG does. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that is, is a, is a wise statement there. He's been around the block. He understands and good relationship with counties. He knows all the players. So that's optimistic in my mind as well. And of course, Michael, Going to the General Assembly now, we have a lot of new members, big changes there, too. We just saw committee assignments in the House came out last week. We know the Senate has sort of set their committees as well. But, Michael, we're still expecting maybe a few more General Assembly members to take roles in the administration. We just saw another one today on January 10th, as right before we recorded, Senator Susan Lee is set to become Maryland's first Asian Secretary of State. So happy for Senator Lee, but a lot more changes, Michael, in terms of new faces and potentially some shifts to the administration ahead. And so when we talk about the General Assembly, too, uh, Senator Penske, he longtime chair of what was Education, Health and Environmental Affairs, 
That committee now is changing. They have a different jurisdiction. Some people are calling it triple E, EEE. Senator Kagan, who is big on elections and many other issues, she's calling it EEEE. She's adding elections as the other E there. So uh, a new committee chair after a longtime committee chair in that committee. We have a new committee chair in finance. So, Michael, a lot of moving parts in the Senate. But that also leaves seats to fill. And, and talk a little bit about that, because that can be tricky. Yeah, so this does tend to happen when there's a new administration, when the executive branch is looking for leadership and looking for people who have knowledge and familiarity to, to take on a leadership role in one area or another. It turns out the legislature is pretty fertile ground to find people who have focused on a subject matter or you know, done sort of the budget oversight for uh, for a particular area. They become familiar with the, you know, the leaders in the state agency or they start having a vision for how the agency could work better. A lot of them are well suited to take on a role in the executive branch. And and that's a pretty common thing. So you've already seen, like like you mentioned, you know, Senator Pinsky taking a role with the Energy Administration. And my guess is that we will see the Maryland Energy Administration take on a footprint that's bigger than it has been in the past. That would be my guess is that Senator Pinsky's vision for what a state energy leader could look like might be broader and more ambitious than what we've seen in the past. But for the General Assembly, that means you've got a vacancy in the Maryland Senate. Um, a lot of times, because the, the Senate, di- the legislative districts are effectively one senator accompanied with three delegates, either, either running at large or in sub districts. But um, typically, the, the most common way to replace a Senate seat is by elevating an existing member of the House delegation from the same uh, from the same uh, district. So, but then that leaves you a vacancy in the House of Delegates whether that's somebody who has sought that office before or somebody who's involved and, and familiar to the local um, to, to the local uh, party committee. So the, you know, the central committee makes those selections and recommends them to the governor to, to fill those seats. Anyway, the details TBA, but there's still a, a few pieces left to fall into place. And, and that Prince George's Senate seat uh, chief among them, right? Yeah, and of course, Senator Lee's seat, as we just mentioned as well, that's going to be up and we're going to have to see what happens there. But yes, a lot of people just assume delegates will be elevated and maybe that will happen. But we know central committees are responsible there. And so lots of things can happen at the local level when you talk about central committees, right? And lots of uh, politics locally. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But Michael, maybe a few more. Um, a few more shoes to drop in terms of legislators moving over. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. We still don't have a list of, of cabinet secretaries yet as we approach session. So I think a lot of people are just, you know, kind of twiddling their thumbs and wondering how that's going to shake out. Too. Right. Yeah. And, then, and and those are the kinds of jobs that, that could be very alluring for a legislator, even someone in leadership to say, well, if I have an opportunity to be the leader of an agency that does a bunch of the services that I've been writing bills about and I've been working passionately about, I'd, I'd love to step in and be, you know, the, 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 the state secretary uh, of aging or veterans affairs or natural resources or other, you know, other areas like that. Some of those are an opportunity to make a big difference and wouldn't be a surprise if we saw maybe, you know, two or three more members of the legislature show up in leadership roles in, in the in new administration. Right. So uh, continuing with the theme in the General Assembly and approaching session, Michael, lots of pre-file bills to work through. 
We saw a lot of this amid the pandemic. There have always been pre-filed bills. There's always been a process for legislators to get their bills in early. But particularly amid the COVID pandemic, we saw a lot of pre-filed bills. Mm -hmm. And the legislature got bill hearings going like right away when session started. And that's not normal. Usually you have um, some downtime. Committees have to get their acts together. They hear briefings from different agencies and groups. So it doesn't look like this year they will be jumping right into bill hearings like the previous few years. It seems like the schedule will return to quote unquote normal with committees doing all the things I just said and then getting into bill hearings, Michael. And that's, I think, a good thing, especially for shops like ours, because we're scrambling to, to figure out, do we need to convene our legislative committee? Are we going to jump right into bill hearings? Do we need to take bill positions? It doesn't seem like things are going to get off to that rapid start like we've seen in the, in the past few years, at least on my end. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the right read. Um, so I, I think that's that's kind of where we are. The the giant load, you know, the, the big pressure for legislators to put in your bills early. Anything that you know you're going to be working on, put it in as a pre-filed bill. We'll release them two, three, four weeks before session. Let the stakeholder community see them, read them, get prepared, and we'll be ready to start having in-depth bill hearings on literally day two of session. Wasn't that the case? Like last. Last year on yes. the second day of like first day was in, install everybody and and uh, you know appoint the officers and and talk about plans and so forth and then literally day two was start holding bill hearings and let's get stuff moving right um, so I I think this year will be a little more familiar to those of us who you know inside baseball stuff have been doing this a while that. We'll have a ramp up where, I mean, if you're, if you're a new legislator and you've just been assigned to a committee that's going to take on, let's say, environmental issues, you might be generally familiar with some of that stuff. But having having four or five days where the committee is together and hears from a number of central stakeholders, here's what our state agency does and here's where we focus, here's what the Department of Natural Resources does and where we fit into wildlife conservation or fisheries or other things like that. Um, you might want to hear from uh, environmental groups about, you know, the state of the Chesapeake Bay and other things like that. Uh, you might want to hear from local governments on where we fit in with planning and zoning, environmental policy and so forth. Like all that stuff would be good grist to help the legislators who in the space of a few weeks are going to be asked to make a lot of decisions on these sorts of policies. So I, I think for the first year of a term, it makes an awful lot of sense to kind of go back to the old ways and let's, let's, let's ramp our way up to the full on. Here's the day we're going to hear 13 bills. We're going to be here till seven o'clock and we're going to cover tons and tons of ground. Let's actually like, you know, do some of the, some of the, some of the advance work up front, I think. Yeah, that makes sense, right? You want to get your bearings, let all of the agencies come in and, and do their briefings and sort of set the stage, and then you get into bill hearings. And we think that's what's going to happen this session. Of course, we also have a big inauguration next week, so I think it makes sense for the committees to, to get their bearings, as we said, and then get into the heavy workload, uh, you know, with bill hearings going on and late in the evening, and that's just how session is, right? So, and of course, you know, Michael, it can't be the start of a session without an unexpected hiccup. Shout out to the House Ways and Means Committee. I am there regularly. They had a major flood over the holidays. Things are ruined. Things are a mess. And they're working really hard to get things back in order as quickly as possible. But, you know, just terrible timing there, Michael. And you are a veteran of the Ways and Means Committee. So I'm sure, you know, you can imagine what that what that means right before the start of a session to have a flood, knock out everything and try to get back on your feet in time to, to hold those long bill hearings. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard it's pretty bad. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm, like you, like you said, the last thing you need at this last minute as everyone's trying to pull together to be ready for the, the hot lights of session to, to suddenly have this sort of, you know, weather emergency leave you with damaged furniture and paperwork and electronics and, and so forth. You know, like, like flooding can be a real pain in the neck just for trying to conduct business. And that's, the main thing that they need to do in the weeks ahead. So I'm sure there are folks working overtime at, you know, staff and members trying to make sure that the, the space is usable and so forth. So, you know, sorry for that awful twist, but uh, this too shall pass. Let's hope. All right, Michael. And that does bring us to testimony. This was not a closely guarded secret around town, but the Maryland General Assembly did announce yesterday in a joint statement from Speaker Jones and President Ferguson that there will be hybrid testimony available for the 2023 session. That means you can testify in person or you can testify remotely. Of course, the pandemic showed all of us that that was possible to let folks testify remotely. And I think, you know, we've been saying for a while, it's going to be hard to put that back in the bottle, right? If people realize that, you know, I live in Western Maryland or on the Eastern Shore and I really want to testify on a bill, and now I've seen that you can do that. You have the ability to let me testify virtually. To take that away would have been pretty difficult. So I think, you know, this is in the spirit of uh, more public engagement and better democracy. But, of course, Michael, logistics are hard. So that, that should be interesting to see how that plays out as we do this hybrid testimony in person and remote for the upcoming session. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's about right. I, I mean, there's really two stories here. And. One is for folks like you and I and those of us who are sort of Annapolis insiders, the all the you know the the private lobbyists and and agency liaisons and those of us who make our living in the policy process. For us, like we'll we'll roll with whatever the system is, right? I mean, if if we have to do our testimony through the Zoom room or or that that sort of thing, or or if we get an opportunity to be back in person. We'll we'll play ball, whatever the rules of the road are. I, I think, though, for the incidental participant, uh, the remote access was a revelation rather than drive down for my 1 p.m. hearing, find out that I'm actually not going to get called till 545. And you know, I have to close my flower shop for the day to be there to give my two minutes of testimony on some bill about labor laws. Right. I mean, I, I've got a lot of sympathy for her being put into that spot. So I, I, I'm with you. It's tough to say, let's dial to zero the, the remote access. Um, I don't know though, like the logistics of, of going back and forth for every segment of testimony between live people at the desk and remote people on a screen. I mean, maybe it can be seamless, but I, I don't know. It seems like it, it, it could be just like logistically difficult to now we're going to plug back in the, the, the multi microphone and make sure this person is on the screen. You know, you know what I'm saying? Don't you think mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. a potential for that to be, I don't know, like a little cumbersome maybe. No doubt. And it, there's going to be a learning curve and, you know, potentially you could see hearings going a little bit longer if more people are able to testify and sign up remotely. But then yes, just the logistics of going back and forth. And it, it, we should mention that the Senate is not going to issue a formal memo on the 2023 session protocols like we've seen over the last few years. 
each committee is going to be responsible for implementing this this new hybrid testimony model. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how each committee handles it and whether or not they they rotate. You know, we're going to do all remote first and then in person or they're going to go back and forth. It's left to the committees, as I think it should be. But certainly it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I agree there will be a learning curve and we'll, we'll have to see. But I do think generally it's a good thing for public engagement. We've always talked about the person who lives in Garrett County yeah. and wants to testify on a bill and they get down here and they realize that their bill won't be heard till you know, seven at night. And so that that's challenging. So I think this is a good thing. We'll just have to see how it all shakes out. And I'm confident that the staff will be able to handle it, that they are more than capable. So uh, looking forward to see how that plays, Michael. Um, but the House will, uh, the House will, though, I should mention, they're going to talk, they're going to issue a plain language session protocols document. We should mm-hmm. get that today or tomorrow, and that will be easy for people to read and figure out exactly what's going on. But we'll have to see. And of course, Michael, they're still dealing with you know, COVID and RSV and flu and all these other illnesses that can be spread easily. So they're trying to make sure that they have the ability, I think, to for people to testify remotely, even if they're sick, they certainly don't want people showing up. So public health certainly still top of mind for leadership in the General Assembly. So a variety of reasons for this. But again, logistics are hard and, and we'll have to yeah. see how that plays out. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think they're they're trying to do the right thing. And I think you start with this plan as a way to try and accommodate all those multiple interests. And to like like you said, you don't want someone who's ill to miss her only opportunity to testify on the bill. So if you're sick that day, stay home, dial in, we'll get you plugged in. You'll be, you'll get heard. That's, that's, that's a good angle on this as well. So anyway, I hope it works. I hope this system serves everybody's needs and it ends up not being difficult for everybody. Um, it's ambitious. So, so I hope they can pull it off. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to session, Michael. I know you are too. Getting back in the saddle. This is a, it sounds like a mostly in-person session. And of course, still watching the COVID numbers and again, all, all the other stuff that's going around. But it seems like people are really excited and motivated to get back in the halls of the General Assembly, to get back to the testimony table. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Tomorrow, opening day should be just a whirlwind of activity around Annapolis. It'll be busy, lots of new faces. The theme of this podcast coming into Annapolis, you know, finding their offices, getting all set up, lots of moving parts within the General Assembly. And of course, we look forward to our newly elected county officials and all of our elected county officials coming down to Annapolis to testify, to participate in the process. And MAKO's Legislative Committee will be very busy, Michael, just looking at the pre-file bills. There are a lot of them. We're sorting through those now, but we're certainly going to be ready to hit the ground running. Yeah, and we're going to we're going to keep up with this through the legislative session. So even though it's a busy time, we'll keep dropping podcasts on Fridays with a perspective on things that just landed throughout the week or stuff that we see that's interesting coming up. We're kind of, you know, both of us have been through this cycle enough times that we're sort of aware of the ebb and flow of what things are going on. We're going to get we're going to get buried with new testimony a little bit after the filing deadlines. You know, all these all these sorts of things are are interesting things in the weeks ahead. So so keep your dial tuned here on Conduit Street. We'll be covering all the stuff that we care about and that you ought to care about. And we might even get some Conduit Street after dark content, Michael, because, as you said, the ebbs and flows of session. Sometimes we have to record these in the evenings, late at night, in the midst of session. And our viewers seem or our listeners, excuse me, seem to really like the after dark segments. You get Michael Sanderson. He's tired. He's just come out of a long day. He's going to tell you how he feels. Maybe we'll get some of that, too. 
Yeah, we, and we have to put like the you know the language advisory up front that you know if you're if you're offended by rough language, you might want to skip this episode, right? The, the trigger warning sort of thing. Yeah, we we don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Certainly don't want to get in trouble. So, all right, Michael, I think we can wrap it up there. A lot of work to do as we prepare for tomorrow and for session. Any closing thoughts from you on the session ahead and and just sort of looking forward to the year ahead? Is to, you know, Happy New Year, by the way, to, to all of our <laughs> listeners, right? Yeah, happy New Year to our listeners. And and uh, if, if this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. We want this to be worth your while. There's never been a session with as much change in the air as the one we're about to come into. So even dinosaurs like me who have been doing this for cycle after cycle after cycle, there's an awful lot to look forward to here. Um, opportunity more than threat. So there's upside here. Build new relationships. Let's make all this stuff work. Let's go, man. Well said, and we will leave it there for today. Of course, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, you should read our Conduit Street blog. But for Michael Sanderson and our wonderful producer, Victoria Moss, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.